Hello, 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 and welcome back to Deconstructing Disney here on Commentate, where we take a deep dive into the making, origin, and lasting impacts of Disney films. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Mia. And I'm DeCoria. And this week, we'll be taking uh, a look at the Disney film, Mary Poppins, 1964. But before we jump in, make sure you give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And make sure you drink your water as the summer continues and you enjoy all of our fabulous content. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring to you the 1964 American musical fantasy film directed by Robert Stevenson and produced by Walt Disney with songs written and composed by the Sherman Brothers. Um, This is a... Screenplay is by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti, based on P.L. Travers' book series called Mary Poppins. The film combines live-action animation starring Julie Andrews, um, who visits a dysfunctional family in London and employs her on a unique brand of lifestyle to improve the family's dynamic. Um, other notable actors are Dick Van Dyke, David Thompson, and Glenn Johns. Um, Mary Poppins was released August 27th, 1964. To critical acclaim, it was the highest grossing film in 1964, and its release, the budget was $4.4 to $6 million, and the box office numbers is $103.1 million. Um, ladies, have you heard of Mary Poppins before? Is this your first time watching the movie in full, Marin? Um, I'd heard of Mary Poppins before, but I'd never watched the film. I've just seen clips, so yeah, first time. Okay, what about were you, Corey? Um, they used to force us to watch this in school a lot, so I've seen it like a few times. <laughs> what about you, Nia? I have vague memories of seeing it. Like this was definitely not the first time I've seen it, but. I didn't remember a single thing, so it felt like the first time. Mm. Uh, what about you, Tori? I have definitely seen Mary Poppins before. The music, this is another one of those movies where the music is just stuck in my brain and I'll randomly sing a spoonful of sugar. Um, definitely could tell I'm a sound listener because that's mostly what I remember. I didn't remember they had parents. <laughs> so when the movie started, <laughs> I was like, oh, these kids got parents? So, let's all take a journey on the recap of Mary Poppins. Um, Mary Poppins, it starts in Edwardian London in the spring of 1920. Um, George Banks uh, is on his way home. But before that, we kind of, it starts off with a scene of Bert, right? It starts off with Bert in the park singing and making poems to people. He's like a street performer, a one-man band with this whole little... Um, drum and cymbals on him and he's trying to get the people to give him money and then the wind changes and he's like oh the wind's changing something's coming and then he breaks the third wall and turns to the camera girl what did it, this happen I was like what is going <laughs> on and he says oh it's you where you going where you're headed to and so they're heading off to 17 cherry tree lane and so we pass by the admiral's house who used to work for this navy the man has a whole boat set up on the top of his townhouse and he take he tells the neighborhood the time by setting off cannons if i was looking for a house in this neighborhood i would have saw that shit and said i need to be as far away from this place as possible cannons <laughs> Anywho, he's a giant grandfather clock. We walk past him. We get to 17 Cherry Tree Lane. We find out that Katie Nana is headed up to here with the Banks children. Um, she's ready to go. She's ready to leave. The cook and the maid was like, oh, Katie Nana, you can't go. You can't leave us with them. Um, and, you know, she's like, the kids have disappeared for the third time this week. I can't do it anymore. And as she's getting ready to leave... Um, Mr. Winifred, the wife of the house, comes in and she's oh, she's talking about how one of her friends was chained. They chained themselves to the prime minister's car, and somebody is arrested. They're fighting for suffrage, and then she goes into a musical tune about suffrage and how her daughters, our daughters, will honor us the rest of our lives um, and our legacy if we get the right to vote for women. But as soon as it hits six o'clock, um, and they have to 
go and hold all the things um in the house because the cannon goes off. And Katie and Nina's trying to tell her boss, I'm ready to go. These kids is getting on my nerves. Give me my check. Let me bounce. And so as soon as it's 6 o'clock and she knows her husband's coming up, she takes off all her stuff with gear. She goes, well, you know how George doesn't like the cause or whatever. And I'm like, okay, red flag one. Uh, uh, and so... Katie Nana explains to her that she's like, oh, where are the children? And she's like, oh, I don't know where they are. And she's like, oh, well, that's very irresponsible of you, Katie Nana. I had, and she's like, yeah, really? Um, I don't care. Give me my cash and let's go. And I'm sitting here talking about if this is your like third nanny in the last few months, I don't think it's the nannies. Maybe your children are monsters. <laughs> she was blaming her for the kids disappearing. And so Mr. Banks comes home and he talks about um, you know, being home at six oh one and then at six oh two and how he runs a nice firm house for his kids. He just pats them on the head and sends them on their way. And lo and behold, the children are missing. The children are gone and nobody is <laughs> nobody is panicked enough for me for the children to be gone and so George um, says they should call the cops on Katie Nanny because, Katie Nana mm, yeah, yes Katie Nana for losing their children um, and then the constable shows up and says the children were in the park they were chasing a kite and the kids were like apologizing they're really sorry about it they even mentioned well maybe if their dad had help them make the kite that maybe they wouldn't be running away from home and even the constable tries to be like don't get mad at the children they didn't really mean it but Mr. Banks is like thank you constable you can leave now and so um Mr. Banks says I cannot let my wife pick the next nanny because she doesn't know what she's doing so I will pick the next nanny so he has Winifred write down this whole they go to another goal musical number uh, as he talks about the perfect nanny someone who is stern someone who will you know shape their breed what were they calling the children their breed <laughs> it was like some oh, weird I don't yeah some weird vocabulary word they were using and so they do this and the kids were like, well, um, Jane and Michael said they present their own advertisement for a kind, sweet nanny who smiles and plays games. And Mr. Banks rips up the advertisement and throws it into the chimney. Um, and, but somehow the wind in the chimney, you know, um, takes the pieces of paper and it flows off into the air. Um, the next day, a line of nannies have come to answer the the newspaper ad for a nanny for the Banks house. Um, and just as about as Mr. Banks is about to interview all of them, um, the wind blows them all away. I was like, well, damn, that's one way to get rid of competition. <laughs> and the only nanny left is Miss Mary Poppins, who from the first, can we just say Julie Andrews looks fantastic. Um, yes. <laughs> she looks so great um and she, she is not like the sour face nanny she's just like the nanny that jane and michael wanted and she you know walks in without being asked and she asks him are you jane and michael's father and he's like yes and she says well over here for the nanny position and she begins to read the ad that jane and michael had written and not the ad that george banks had written and george is having a a, a midlife crisis as he's trying to figure out how the ad got from his chimney into the hands of Mary Poppins. But by the time he figures it out, she's already um, upstairs ready to meet the children. She sits on the banister and just, you know, defies all means of gravity <laughs> and zooms up to the second floor where she talks to Jane and Michael and she shows them. Jane and Michael show her the nursery. She moves to the nursery. She's pulling all these things out of her magic carpet bag. We are sure that Miss Mary Poppins is not like other nannies. And so she's like, you like to play games? We'll play a game. It's called Cleaning Up um, the Nursery. This is Child Rearing 101. Gotta make chores sound fun. And so she goes into, I guess this is her first musical number, which is a spoon full of sugar helps the medicine go down um and you know her life lessons of teaching the kids how to clean and have fun at the same time and just when it seems like all the furniture is getting out of control they decide to go take a walk in the park 
and that is where they meet Bert. Bert today is a street artist. He's drawing chalk paintings on the sidewalk, and um, you know, even though the kids want to go back into the nursery and use the magic to keep cleaning up, she says, "No, we have to walk. We have a plant today." So they go out. They meet Bert. Um, they jump into one of Bert's paintings where it's a carousel, and this is um, it's uh Bert's second musical number, which is Jolly Holiday, and he talks about um being with Mary Poppins. They are definitely sneaky links for each other because they were just burning out the wazoo. They said, "Fuck them, kids. We're on a date." Um, <laughs> they go on this date. You know, Bert has this whole part of the song where he talks about all the other women he's talking to but Mary Poppins is the best he has a little tit, tit uh, a little dance with the penguins and then they get on the carousel and the carousel horses come off the carousel and they ride the carousel through these the countryside and they end up in a horse race and Mary Poppins wins first place and then they sing the iconic super califragilistic expialidocious but then a thunderstorm hits the painting disappears and we are back to reality where mary takes the kids um mary takes the kids home she uh feeds them their medicine you know it's like she pours the medicine and each one is a different color and a different taste and she says well we have plans next day so why don't you um go ahead and go to bed well they don't want to go to bed and so she sings them She's like, we're too, we're far too excited to go to bed. And she's like, she starts gaslighting these children because <laughs> they're talking about, well, you read, you won a horse race and we went through a painting. She's like, oh, she's like, me? How could you be so rude to even say something like that? I was like, oh, this is a, a one gaslighting. But she sings them a song that says, don't go to sleep. And the kids go to sleep. And the next day, um, Mr. Banks is at his house and all of the kids are, you know, everybody's a little more happy and up. And Mr. Banks is upset by this cheery mood that his house is in for some reason because um, he wanted a no-nonsense nanny that was going to teach his kids the 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 realities of life, I guess. And Mary Poppins is, you know, letting them be kids and giving them love and making them happy. And so they have a boatload of chores to do. They go outside to do the chores when all of a sudden... Andrew, the local dog, comes to Mary all um, panicked. And, you know, at first we don't know what's going on, but we follow Mary and we go to Uncle Albert's. And that's Bert's already there walking. But Uncle Albert is floating up to the air because his uncontrollable laughter and seems to be contagious. And so now, when everybody laughs, this is another musical number. I love to laugh. Um, everybody laughs and they're having tea. They're like floating in the air, laughing, making dad jokes. <laughs> Um, the running joke is that, what is it? Um, you know, a, ma- a man named Smith with a wooden leg. And he says, oh, she's like, uh, you know, there's a man named Smith with a, a Smith with a wooden leg. Oh, what's the name of his other leg? And it's like a running joke the rest of the movie. Um, but they have these jokes. Mary Poppins is not amused. And so they have to think of something sad for everybody to float down. And they go back home. And Mr. Banks is very upset because Mary Poppins is not doing her job the way he wants them to. Like, you're not teaching my children about the hard woes of life. I'm pretty sure there's seven. But, you know, Mr. Banks is um, a manager of a bank. And a bank is a tidy, speedy process or whatever the fuck. Um, And so basically Mary Poppins tricks him into taking the kids with him to the bank the next day. Um, um, and so the kids are like, oh, it's going to be so fun. We're going to be in the city. And Mary Poppins tells them about a cathedral where there's a woman who sells bird feed for a, like a punce or like a, you know, nickel or something. And the kids are so excited to go into the city with their dad and they go into the city and they want to buy bird feed from the woman. Um, but their father is like, no. And then they go to the bank where, um, Mr. Dawes, the chairman of the bank, is well first their dad is like they're here to open up an account i'm like there's seven that should be illegal but whatever (laughs) um they go in and then these elderly men try to manipulate them into giving their money to the bank so they can um build bridges and across the nile and some shit like that michael said this is my money and i don't fucking think so he says i want to find go feed the birds and so when they try to forcefully take the money from him 
um everybody in the bank is like uh oh my god somebody at the bank won't give the key- somebody their money so now everybody who's in the bank and outside the bank try to take their money from the bank and the kids run off because they feel like they caused you know a mess they run off and they bump into bert who's a chimney sweep today um and there he takes them back to the bank's house where he's cleaning the chimney and then Michael gets swept up into the chimney and then Jane gets swept up into the chimney and so they're on the rooftops walking through walking over the rooftops of the city of East London and that's when they meet they um meet the other chimney sweeps and that's when they go into Chim Chim Tree and it's a very extremely excruciatingly long <laughs> dance piece that leads back into the bank's house where they do step in time um um i don't know why the admiral was looking at the chimney sweeps and started shooting fireworks at them like they were the enemy and i was like "Mm, this man does not need to have this many weapons on him anyway they get into the bank's house they dance with mrs banks they dance with the maids um they dance with mr banks and then mr banks um and he tries to scold Mary Poppins and he's like, you tricked me into taking the kids to work and all of this other stuff. Um, and so Mr. Banks gets a phone call from his bank telling him that um, they will be laying him off and he needs to come tonight so he can get laid off. And then he has this whole little singing number piece with Bert about how a man has dreams and um, Bert basically tells him that he needs to spend more time with his children before they grow up because your dreams are only big as your children are, something like that. Um, Michael gives his father the tuppence and, you know, he's like, we're sorry. We made a, you know, a mess at the bank. We hope this fixes everything. Banks goes back to the bank. Um, they uh, they humiliated him. They take the rose off of his lapel. They put a hole in his hat. They turn his umbrella upside down. Um, and that's when Mr. Banks realized this is all for naught. His job can come and go, but his family's forever. And he starts to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. He tells the wooden smith joke. He, it kind of looked like he almost has a mental break, but we'll get to that when we start critiquing. Um, he jokes and jokes and jokes uh and then he leaves and mr dawes ends up floating up in the air laughing at his joke and so the next day um mary poppins is getting ready to leave as the wind has changed and the kids are like oh you're gonna leave us mary poppins and the the constable's looking for mr banks because he didn't return home last night and then they start to hear music outside and they're like oh my god that's mr banks and um he fixed the children's kite and basically he takes the family to the park um, the Mary Poppins leaves because her job has ended. We find out that Mr. Dawes, the chairman of the bank, died from laughter at the joke. Uh, and but he said, I've never seen my father happier, so that he reemploys Banks as a junior partner. And Mary Poppins flies away, and Bert's telling her from afar not to stay away too long. And that is the end of Mary Poppins. Reactions? God, that was long. Um, <laughs> it was fine for the first hour, and then after the first hour, I kept checking to see how much longer was in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Corey? Um, pretty much same for me. Um, it was really, really boring. The most exciting parts were the songs, and even mm-hmm. then, after a certain point, it was like, okay, I would like to do something else now. And like, <laughs> like I said, I've seen this movie a couple of times because of school, and I really hate that they used to just show us to this in music class repeatedly, like it's like peak cinema or something like that. Yeah, it's supposed to be like one of the best musicals of the '60s or some shit like that. Yeah. Um, Nia, what about you? Your reactions? same it just was too long i said two hours and what (laughs) what it was incredibly long i got very bored um the songs it's like i didn't realize it was that type of movie where the songs would keep being sung at different points of the movie like they'll bring back the same melodies over and over and i was like okay i get it yeah could just be my attention span is not there today but was not feeling it (laughs) what about you tori I mean, it's, I, I think I have to agree with Amir, and it's, like, good for the first hour, then you're like, okay, I'm done. The Once we got to step in time, I was like, if y'all don't stop tap dancing on this goddamn roof, I'm through. 
Um, but even like I I couldn't I couldn't believe there was so much other music than like the most the more iconic songs. Like, did we have to have that like six ten minute singing in the bank with the kids? No, y'all could have edited that out. It was unnecessary. I didn't need to see them scary ass older men talking about put your money in the bank. They're six. <laughs> They're six. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was an extremely long movie. I get why people would have loved it. If you, if you walked into the theaters and saw this in 1964, you'd be like, oh my God, cinematic masterpiece. Us of the binging age, um, we're impatient. I will say that, but like also you got to do something else for two hours. It's like a very, it's very much a traditional musical setup than most Disney movies. So yeah, that's probably where the the disconnect is. Yeah, but it's ex- it's extremely long. <laughs> uh, with that being said, let's go into some interesting production facts. Despite the entire film set being in London, Mary Poppins was actually filled at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California. Um, all BTW my s- sources are from Bino Facts, um, a January media media article by Gregory Riddle. And our girl Stacy Conrad with a mental floss article. So yes, it was filmed in Burbank, California, using paint set designs in the background to make it look like the English capital. With over a hundred glass and matte paintings were used to create the London skyline. Um, also, all the famous cherry trees are fake. I don't I mean, yeah, it wasn't a real town, but they were handmade. They're not made out of plastic. Um, and so you can't deny that it did, you know, uh, contribute to the beauty of the film. Um, Marin will give us some more uh, uh, facts about P.L. Travers, who is the original person for this film. But they did end up making the whole filming process was difficult. They did end up making a thir- 2013 film called Saving Mr. Banks, which talks about P.L. Travers and Disney's relationship. Um, but people said it was kind of rose-tinted. I definitely think it's rose-tinted because despite consulting on the entire film, Travers was not given an invitation to the Mary Poppins premiere in 27, on August 27, 1964 at Graham's Chinese Theater in Los Angeles. Talk about petty. Mm-hmm. Well, ain't shit. <laughs> um, yeah. There's also <laughs> some stuff that I'll mention too about how she hated the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She instead obtained an invitation from an executive at the Walt Disney Company. And even at the party, she was still discussing changes that she wished to be made to the film. And Walt said to her famously, um, allegedly, Pamela, the ship has sailed. Um, I wouldn't give this man my intellectual property if he offered me a billion dollars. <laughs> um, well, maybe a billion. Yeah, for a billion I'd do it. But anyway, Walt's dead, so... <laughs> um, the filmmakers did want to keep a lot of the magic alive, so a lot some of the kids' reactions in the film is actually real because they weren't always told what's going to happen. For instance, when they pour the medicine and it comes out different colors, and Jane gasped, that was actually real. And they didn't know that Dick Van Dyke was also Mister Dawes. So Dick Van Dyke plays the old man in the bank, and he plays uh-huh. Bert, but the kids didn't know that. So I thought that's really cool. Um. So, Disney fucking loved the song Feed the Birds. He loved the song so much that he would call the Sherman Brothers and ask them to play it for him. He wouldn't even have to name the song, and they already knew exactly what he was talking about. The audacity of this man to call producers and be like, play me that, play me that jig. (laughs) Bitch! (laughs) But... They also, like, had to go on, um, one of the Disney archivists had to go on a hunt through company storage to look for the Feed the Birds snow globe. Um, they found it in a, in a janitor's closet. The janitor told Smith that he had spotted the globe in a trash can, but felt it was too pretty to throw away. Um, the film is one of Disney's most successful films ever. It was one, the only one nominated for Best Picture. Um, while Walt was still alive, Mary Poppins was the highest grossing film of 1964. It holds the records for the longest Disney film in print. Mary Poppins um, 
It was released on VHS in 1981 and has been re-released several times since, and it's managed to stay in stores since. Not once has Mary Poppins been out of print on video or DVD, and I think this is the first DVD, if I'm not mistaken. It's the first Disney... Yes, this is the first film made history as the very first Disney film ever on DVD in 1998. So... Even though Miss Mary Poppins was boring, she got a long tooth and her bag is long. Okay? Um, the film is also responsible for lo- launching Julie, Julie Andrews' career. Um, the best actress win proved that she um, nailed the part. Originally, Andrews didn't want to play Mary Poppins. She was ho- holding out for the role of Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady, a role which she originated on the West End. Um, the part went to Audrey Hepburn in the end, who was a big star at the time. So she ended up accepting Mary Poppins, and but she beat out Audrey Hepburn for Best Actress. So, per mm-hmm. um, Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent. Now, one second. When they said this was supposed to be Cockney, I said, "Who? I don't know what accent <laughs> that man was speaking." I was like, "He was doing every <laughs> accent in the book." Like I was like, "Irish, American, <laughs> British. What is this mix?" It was it was never constant at all. Um, it's known as the worst accent attempts in film history. Van Dyke has defended himself a reason you're saying that his vocal coach, an Irish man attempting to do a cockney accent, was just as bad. He says, I don't talk to British people because they don't they just make a mess of me, he told NPR in two thousand ten. I didn't know Dick Van Dyke was still alive. He's ninety eight. Um what? <laughs> right. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke is very much still alive. Um Matthew Garbard, who played Michael, the kid, was terrified of heights. And he really didn't want to do the scene to the tea party. But to persuade him, they paid him an extra 10 cents for every take he did. Some money talks. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie Andrews, the, the robin that whistles during Spoonful of Sugar, is actually Julie Andrews recorded. She actually recorded the robins singing. And they put a wire to the like the puppet's head so when she moves her hand and stuff that makes the bird move which i thought was cool um so yards of cable ran from the ring up her arm and out to the engineers who could control the bird's movements as well which is very cool the bird woman who appears feeding the pigeons at st paul's is played by a actress named jane darwell who was one of walt disney's favorite actors Darwell was actually living in retirement when the film was made, but Disney was determined to have her in the film. He tracked her down. She was so flattered that she took the part. It was her last film before she died. Um, some of the nannies lined up at the beginning of the movie are actually men. I didn't know that. Um, Disney imaging um, would not have existed without Mary Poppins. So without the financial success of the film, Walt wouldn't have been able to expand WE Enterprises, WED Enterprises, the department that helped create the animatronic Robin. In 1965, he made a division um, of WED Enterprises just for animatronics, calling it MAPO. Um, but also it's called MAPO it's called Manufacturing and Production Division but it also stands for the M-A and P-O of Mary Poppins um, MAPO later created animatronics for Pirates of the Caribbean The Enchanted Tiki Room, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln and more um, WED is also Walter Ellis Disney BTW um, Enterprises was later reimagined into the Imagineering Department um when filming the disney the when filming the princess diaries of 2001 julie andrews discovered that the director gary marshall was living in the same house that she did when she was making mary poppins um and some of the princess diary was also filmed on the same soundstage as mary poppins andrews knew this to be true because there's a plaque on the soundstage commemorating the movie um during the room tidying scene, there was originally a moment where all the toys came to life, but it was proved to be too scary for children, so they cut it out in the final script. However, the idea was reused for Broadway musical of Mary Poppins. Um, so yeah, I thought this was some very cool, fun information. It seems like they put a lot of ener- time and energy. I know I read somewhere that it took like 11 months to do all the editing after they got done filming. I couldn't tell when I watched this movie as like someone who didn't watch movies, but watching it now and seeing how they, I also read, actually, let me read this to y'all, how they 
actually did the 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 animation Mm -hmm. so instead of having the actor stand in front of a blue wall like you usually do and then insert animation they had them stand in front of like this colored wall and then they also had like um a specific camera right so the scene where mary poppins and bert interact with a group of animated penguins this is from wikipedia it's known for its use of sodium vapor process i've never heard of this before rather than using the more common blue screen to insert the actors into the animated footage the actors were filmed against a white screen lit with sodium vapor lights which have a yellow hue a special camera was fitted with a prism that filtered this light to separate um Real film creating a highly accurate mat that can be used to isolate the actors from the background this created a crisp clean image and even allowed the partially transferred veil of mary poppins costume to let through the light of the background the film was awarded the academy's award for best visual effects in 1965 now if there's something disney doesn't do they do be trying new techniques the animation mm-hmm. department at disney during the 60s was crazy because the yeah. idea who even thought of that <laughs> when they were in the little when they were talking to penguins and just hanging out with all the cartoon characters mm-hmm. i was looking at it to see like if he ever um dick van dyke ever stepped weird or was in front of like a character or anything but he never was he was like in the correct placement and directly mm-hmm. looking at all the like cartoons that he was talking to right and if you look at them when they're um riding the carousel horses across mm-hmm. the bridge they actually did animation at the bottom of the sticks so when the sticks hit the ground it looks like they're like folding a little bit i was like this is incredible technology for the time <laughs> this is insane so yeah a lot went into the production of this and i know mary's gonna tell us how hard it was for disney to get the rights for this so let's move on to origins oh well let's move to music first music with okay yeah and then we'll you know what no let's do origins first we'll switch it up today. okay okay so um my source with a harper bizarre harper bizarre.com was mary poppins real um so we got the story of mary poppins from the australian author pl tavers in her eight book series called mary poppins In 1924, Tavers was working as a journalist when she came up with the idea for the novel. The name Mary Poppins comes from one of her favorite books. Um, Mary Poppins is partly based on Tavers' own aunt, Miss Helen Moorhead, but she didn't realize how much of her own life was an inspiration to the book until much later. Um, The book is set in Depression-era London. Unlike the Banks family in the movie, in the source material, the Banks, who actually have four children, they have the boy and the girl and twins, struggle financially and live in the smallest house in the lane, which is rather dilapidated and needs a coat of paint. Um, Tra- Travers wrote the book for herself. She didn't think anyone would want to publish it, but her friend told her she would take the book to a publisher and it worked out. Um, and the book was released in 1934 and Walt's daughter read the book and showed it to him. And for the next 20 years, Walt tried to get the story from Tavers, um, but she refused, worried that they would portray her nanny the way she, n- portray her nanny um, in a different way. And when she finally agreed um, to signing away the rights, she was given a cut of the gross earnings and a script approval, which didn't matter in the end, really. Mm. It did not. She did not like this. <laughs> she did not like this adaptation. She didn't want to do it. Um, I just remember them talking about how the Mary Poppins of the book was not like the Mary Poppins in the film at all. <laughs> she mm-hmm. was like evil. She meant she mentioned baking the pigeons that they were mm-hmm. singing to into the pies and shit like that. I was like, what? <laughs> she was not nice. But I think Travers, even with all of the back all the back and forth with disney she said i think she mentioned that the the because of disney versions of mary poppins this will live on yeah she eventually was like i'm just gonna live with it like (laughs) i'd like she was like there's only so much she can do at this point it's already been written Uh and she got tired of like over analyzing the character because it was taking the magic out of the story um let's go ahead and do music with the air great job Marin. thank you okay cool cool um so there's a lot 
obviously because this movie was so popular and we've talked about like the songs being a major part of it mm-hmm. there's so much and I mean so much <laughs> that I had to be like okay let's I can't do everything because this is the first time I literally saw a soundtrack and that had a, nearly a Wikipedia page for every single song on the soundtrack. I said, I can't do this. this is, right. I yeah, there's way too much music <laughs> to do that. Right? Like music that's like documented on. People have written so many think pieces and yeah. So I'm going to give like a rundown, brief rundowns and like cover three of the most popular songs. Um, so Mary Poppins, I got most of my um, sources from the Wikipedia, the DisneyFandom.com, InsideTheMagic.net, and IMDb. Um, so, like we said, this was released in 1964, and I think this is one of the first soundtracks to be released on the Disney record label specifically. Mm. Um, and it had that gave it more of, um, which made it able to qualify for um, certifications from Billboard and RIAA. Um, so, um, I'll talk more about that later, but like we said before, it was written and composed by the Sherman brothers who are the very famous Sherman brothers we brought up last time for, um, they worked on Sword in the Stone and then they've worked on several movies coming after, uh, Mary Poppins as well. Um, uh, the Shermans took inspiration from Edwardian British music hall, hall music, um, adapted and conducted by Erwin Costell. Um, the soundtrack is pretty long. It's 17 songs. Um, and they actually had like dozens more songs. Like I saw a list of deleted songs and I was like, this is what? Like three more soundtracks. So the, like Disney did, does with a lot of their older movies. And the 50th anniversary, they did a legacy collection. And the legacy collection is like um, a series of all of like the current songs on the soundtrack and some deleted demos and the older songs that were never made it to the official soundtrack. So if you would like to listen to those deleted songs or just hear the demos, it's out there for purchase. I think it's on streaming services too. Um, so definitely take a look if you are curious. Um, I didn't listen to those, but I, cause there's so many that I'm just like, I don't have the, the time to delve into all the deleted songs of Mary Poppins. Um, but it's there. Um, like I said, this was on a record company called Disneyland Records. Um, Disney's record label now is Hollywood Records, I believe. So it's a different iteration. But this might have been the first official Disney record label. Um, a lot of, due to time constraints, a lot of the songs were edited or canceled. So it's like they had this, they had so many more musical ideas for this, um, but they never made it. Um, Good. And the, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, good. There's so much music, right? Like, I don't know how much. Like, you have 17 songs that made it through. Like, <laughs> what else would do you need to say? Like, um, like others. Like, for reference, like a soundtrack like Alice in Wonderland or Dumbo barely had like 10 songs. So this is just like they were. I guess the ideas were flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this is the Sherman Brothers like one of their I think their second or third movie with Disney so maybe they were just like raring to go because they had a lot more ideas versus a lot of the other composers and producers and writers that had written for multiple like Disney movies back in the early days Mm -hmm. um so my goodness did were these songs successful people were losing their minds um critics adored the music said it was the best thing since sliced bread um it was nominated for Two, it was won two Academy Awards for Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Chim Chimery. Um, and that's like the like huge redemption for like the Disney song Oscars relationship that had kind of previously existed back in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, yes, Disney, you did it again. Here are the Oscars. Um, they also won two Grammys for Best Original Score Written for a Motion Picture and Best Recording for Children. Don't know if we still have those categories now. I think we have Best Original Score, but I don't think Best Recording for Children is the category that's still around. But that's correct me if I'm wrong. very weird category, but okay. Right? Like, I don't even know if, how you'd even quantify that today with all the kids' shows now and like in kids' movies. I don't know. Do they have um, award shows for kids' shows? Ah. Uh, Ignore me. I'm sorry. That was an intrusive thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like like award shows for TV shows, like the uh, what's it called? Why am I forgetting? Not why why Emmys. am I drawing a blank? Not the Emmys, but like no, it is the Emmys. I know, yeah, but yeah. I'm like 
specifically for kid shows like oh kids choice Awards. <laughs> <laughs> i guess teen choice and kids choice maybe but i don't think they did back then yeah um okay so this is actually the first time that i've looked at a soundtrack from disney and sun like certifications and certifications i mean like it's sold a certain amount of copies which means it gets a plaque for like platinum um gold which are like back in the old days gold meant five hundred thousand copies sold platinum meant a million and like if you have four times platinum that means you sold four million copies okay. now i think it's different with streaming like i don't know how many streams equal a sale but i'm not an expert um but I do know the old numbers that like you had to sell a certain amount to reach gold, which is 500,000 and Mary Poppins total. The soundtrack in 1964 sold 6 million copies worldwide. Y'all Jesus Christ. like, like and that's 6 million, like not just like that's 6 million physical, I, that's copies. physical, which means that there were probably records. Cause I don't think, yeah, this mm-hmm. is records. Like that's, I like, that's famous, famous. Um, this was probably giving frozen of its era. Um, let it go vibes uh, for the modern equivalent. Um, and it was certified four times platinum in the U.S. alone. So people in this country ate it up. Um, and then, so the, what's interesting film fact is that like, I was looking, okay, that, I'll talk about Chim Chimri a little bit later more, but like, I didn't realize the film was not, it's a musical and, but it's not a musical that, you sing a song and you're finished. It's more like the music is intertwined with the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So they'll be talking and all of a sudden they'll break out in a spoonful of sugar, but say two lines of it and then go back to talking. And then they'll talk for a little bit more and then go back a little bit into Chim Marie and then go out of it. So it's a very interesting way to make a musical because you go from talking to singing so abruptly and then you don't necessarily sing the entire song. You're singing like snippets. And I feel like, Alice in Wonderland had some of that, but this is like to the extreme, like where like they'll just be talking in like that fireplace. And I'm like, are we singing again? But then it stops. So it's very different. Um, and so then I'm going to talk about three songs. Cause if I do talked about more, we'd be here all day long. Um, but I have to talk about these three since they're the most famous and most memorable. Um, so the first one is spoonful of sugar. Personally, my favorite, song um just the melody's great um also as well written by the sherman brothers sung by julia andrews aka mary poppins um the song the song alone certified gold in 1964 y'all which means 500,000 people bought just the single the physical copy of the single like not the album they went to a store picked up the record for the single that's that's like like amazing um the melody is sort of, like I said, repeated throughout the film several times. Like the first time it's introduced is when she's entered, like in, being welcomed into the house and s- seeing her new living quarters. And then it's repeated again towards the end and in the middle, several places. Um, the song is about telling children that it's okay to take your medicine. And then if you, she says, this is quote unquote, and I quote, although the task is daunting with a good attitude, it can be fun. And I was like, Ah, okay <laughs> um so it's mostly like the sugar is going to help the medicine and it's not so bad after all um then okay so yeah like i was saying before it's shown in different parts of the film i didn't know this the film the song is mixed with it's a small world i don't know i, I didn't delve more into that i saw it and i was like huh interesting fact but i that's just a thing that i didn't delve, dig into more um so the song has characteristics of a fast-paced one-step, a popular dance in the 1910s. Um, the song's title was originally supposed to be The Eyes of Love. Don't know how that relates to the content, but glad they changed it. Um, <laughs> and, but then Walt was like, I don't like it. Walt was always like, I don't like this, do something else. And they were like, okay. <laughs> um, and so they had to go back to the drawing board. And the story is actually kind of funny because Robert Sherman was the primary lyricist of the duo. He arrived home from work one evening, having worked all day trying to come up with a new song idea. And as he walked in the door, his wife, Joyce, informed him that the children had gotten their polio vaccine that day. Um, Robert asked his son, Jeffrey, if it hurt, thinking the child had received the shot. Um, The child responded that the medicine was put on a cube of sugar and he swallowed it, um, realizing 
like what he said he was like oh that could be something and he started brainstorming and then there it goes like spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down um that's like the lyric and he was like oh that's I can tie this into this and it really became like a epiphany moment for him um and then he suggested a lyric to his brother who was, was like I don't know if this will work and he came around eventually and then that's how the song was born so really it was like life imitated well no art imitated life Mm -hmm. in that situation okay and this song has been referenced in many things but the ones that I just was like I recognize from the list of was how I met your mother it's on a one episode of that and Shrek the third of course as it should um okay next Chim Chimri okay it's performed by Bert aka Dick Van Dyke um the song won an academy award okay this one what's fascinating about this is like this is not the first song i think of when i think of mary poppins personally and so i was shocked that this has like so many accolades and covers like if you're just have free time go look up how many people have covered this song and i'm like huh is this what y'all because it was sung by dick van dyke maybe that could be it because i i'm just like y'all really like (laughs) this particular song and I don't know, this one's not the one I think of when I think of Mary Poppins, but I mean, hey, they see something I don't. <laughs> um, it won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Um, it was inspired by one of the drawings of a chimney sweep created by Mary Poppins screenwriter Don Garadi. Garadi? Grady? Don Degrady. Degrady? Great. Yes, that. <laughs> um, he explained the ancient British folklore attributed to sweeps and how shaking hands with one person could bring good luck. Um, like I said, this song, along with the others, gets repeated several times. Whenever Bert's really on screen, he's he's probably going to sing this song in a part of his dialogue or when he's walking away. That's what I noticed. Like when he's walking or walk, uh, jumping down the street or strolling, he's going to sing this song. Um, so it comes up in many times when he's on screen um and interestingly it's inspired quote unquote very similar to um yiddish songs um the first one called okay i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation please forgive me value that one i I heard it and i was like "Mm, it's not that similar but that could have just been the 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 recording i had listened to mm-hmm. but the second one this is very difficult to pronounce tum balalakia that one it i was like oh that disney went copy paste disney went copy paste change the lyrics because it's like and i know it could just been songs during that time might have sounded similar but this one that second one sounds like the same same rhythm same uh like vibe and I was like ooh okay um okay and like I said before it's been covered by so many artists I, I saw this list I was like John Coltrane Louis Sir Armstrong Louis. yeah I was like what what and then I said Duke Ellington what a what, what why <laughs> like like this ah I don't know what it why and then later on like Esperanza Spalding and she, like if y'all don't know she's a jazz artist who won the Grammy a couple like 10 years ago, nine years ago, she's a modern jazz artist, mm-hmm. played with Prince. Like, she's very good, listen to her music. But, like, and then David Alan Greer in a sci fi satirical movie called Amazon Women on the Moon. But I was just shocked at the early list. I was like, Bing Crosby, <laughs> Louis Armstrong? What, why? <laughs> like, because it's not like a jazz, is it a jazz song? It's not to feel like a jazz song to me. So I'm like, why are all these jazz artists drawn to this? What is the is in the, the sauce? Scatting? That- like, is it just chimchimery? give scat it could be i don't know i guess because i'm like ah wow that's a cover list and there's many more a lot of people i didn't recognize so i didn't add them to the list um and then 2021 coca-cola did a commercial um that with this song called um sweeps i think it's called sweeps Mm -hmm. or chimney sweep or something um or chimney i think that's what it's called and Supporters of English football teams, Millwall, West Bromwich. Yeah, a lot of names. And Blackburn sing a version of this song, which is referenced to each team's local rivals. Um, yeah, so this a lot of sports-related covers and integral things. 
And next, of course, the one, the only, can't forget this song, the queen herself, <laughs> supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Um, yes, performed by Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. This perform, this is performed while they're doing the dancing on the animation scene, um, animation painting world. Um, they wanted a song to sound something similar to the time period, so they like it has that sort of vibe. Um, it is on the it's on the movie version finished at number 36 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs list for top tunes in American cinema as a whole. Um, the word is a compound word. Listen, people have their own definitions on what this means, what it could mean. Some dictionary.com was like, girl, it's it's nonsense. <laughs> um, but it's a compound world made up of these words above beauty, fragilistic, delicate expial to atone docious educatable educable with all these parts combined meaning atoning for being educable through delicate beauty and i was like huh okay <laughs> um and then there's other there's alternate spellings with j's and why would you do that w's and i said oh that that's Super califrag. I said, "Ooh, nope. Super not gonna say that." But it's got- XP yeah, <laughs> with J's and W's and X's, and I was like, "Oh, this is different." Um, and so the word is. They said that that word has existed in that particular spelling since uh, 1931 um, by in a column titled "Amusings" by Helen Herman in the Syracuse University Daily Orange. Um, that's like where they kind of put it in word form where it was first referenced, but it was really popularized after Mary Poppins. People were like, oh, this is a cool word. Um, and so they referenced, the Sherman brothers were like, how did, when people asked how they came up with that title, they were like, when we were little boys in the mid thirties, we went to summer camp in the, not gonna say that, Air Adrirondack. All these names, Adriandak, <laughs> yes, Adriandak Mountains, where we were introduced to very long words that had been passed down in many variations through generations of kids. The word we heard, as we heard first, was yeah, the, the alternate super, spelling. Oh yeah, the, um, no, this is yeah, different. Yeah. It's super kaja flagellistic, sp aladojus. <laughs> Ooh, that's correct. I, there's no shus. It's just now. Oh wow. A lot of J's. Okay, yeah. They heard that at that version as kids. And they also said it referenced like double talk as kids, like kids just saying a lot of nonsense words. Mm-hmm. And dictionary.com is just like, it don't mean nothing. So yeah, um, it can mean anything to anybody. It's a it's one of those things. And I didn't know that after Disney released this, they got, lo- they got sued <laughs> in um, Disney fashion. Um, there are two lawsuits that they were both lost though. Um, well, Disney didn't lose the people who sued lo- lost Gloria Parker and Barney Young against Wonderland music, Disney's music publishing subsidiary. Um, the plaintiffs, plaintiffs alleged that there was a copyright infringement of their 1949 song alternate spelling. <laughs> um, d- this has a two E's. This has super, super califagilistic SP. Tori, you're on you're on the money today. Like <laughs> I, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing two E's, I'm seeing two J's. Things are happening. I want to say so the J U like it's Spanish, but that's not <laughs> right. <laughs> and another recording of that alternate spelling um, performed by the Arabian Nights um, and poor published by Glorial Records were released in 1951. But for both lawsuits, Disney publishers said that like the producers were mostly saying that like variants of the word have existed many years prior to like even y'all's uh songs mm-hmm. so you can't this is not public like this is just a word public domain yeah. um yeah yeah and so this song charted on the hot 100 at number 66 like that's crazy back in the days of like billboard mm-hmm. like like this might have been the first time that i'm aware of that a disney song charted on the hot 100 and it also charted at number 14 on the adult contemporary chart. And the chart I had never heard of until today, U.S. Cash Box 100. And I said, who? And it charted at number 80. And I was like, Billboard, what is this? <laughs> never heard in my life. 
Um, and it was certified silver in the UK, which means that 200,000 copies were sold. Um, and hilariously about the accent thing that Dick Van Dyke's like terrible accent, he went and like received an award at the BAFTAs in 2017. And his, in his um, acceptance speech, he was like, I appreciate this opportunity and I apologize to the members of BAFTA for inflicting on them the most atrocious cockney, cockney accent in the history of cinema. And the ex- chief executive of BAFTA responded, we look forward to his acceptance speech and whatever accent he chooses on the night. We have no doubt it would be supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So everything came full circle. Um, yeah. So that's three songs. There are many more songs in this soundtrack. Um, but those are the top three that I wanted to talk about. Uh, what is y'all's favorite song on this soundtrack? Um, I think Spoonful of Sugar is something I hum a lot. Um, mm-hmm. my answer would have to be none of them. <laughs> You're not a fan of musicals, so it takes a lot for me to like a song. Right. What about you, Corey? Um, but yeah, super califragilist. Oh my god, that's a mouthful. <laughs> that song. Um, yeah, because you know, I heard it a lot as a kid. I remember it the most. The word is fun. So they did play that a lot in elementary school. Yes. Like- <laughs> yeah. What about you, Nia? What's your favorite? Oh, uh, Spoonful of Sugar. Mm-hmm. I like that the most because the melody's good. Um, completely forgot Chim Shimmery existed until today. And then, I don't know. I feel like Disney Channel would do a Mary Poppins commercial. This could be wrong. I could be completely wrong, and I'm imagining this. But I feel like there was a time period where Disney would constantly play Mary Poppins commercials on Disney Channel mm-hmm. and I would hear like that snippet of Supercalifragilistic and I was like mm, kind of annoying after hearing it for the 16th time <laughs> but no Spoonful of Sugar is great wow great job Nia that was a lot <laughs> a lot um, let's move over to critiques with Corey okay so I picked two main critiques because they're pretty large Um, the first one is like at first, when I was reading it, I was like, this is kind of a reach. But then I was like, wait, maybe it's not. <laughs> so it's titled Mary Poppins and the Nanny Shameful Flirting with Blackface by Daniel Pollack Pelsner. He, he's an uh, English professor. I can't remember what college, though. He did a piece for NY Times. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically what he was saying is that in the scene where she goes up the chimney with the children... And then instead of cleaning off, she like further darkens herself. That is like blackface. And let me just read out exactly what he said. So one of the more indelible images from the 1964 film is of Mary Poppins blacking up. When the magical nanny played by Julie Andrews accompanies her young charges, Michael and Jane Banks up their chimney, her face get covered in suit. But instead of wiping it off, she gamely powders her nose and cheeks even blacker. Then she leads the children on a dancing exploration of London rooftops with Dick Van Dyke's sooty chimney sweep. This might seem like it's innocent. (laughs) Um, And he says that like, you know, just looking at it for like on the surface, it's like, okay, whatever. But apparently in the novels, travelers, she associated the chimney scenes with like racial character caricatures. So, like, the blackened faces, she, like, explicitly associated with, like, black people. And so, in the book, there's, like, a line that's, like, don't touch me, you black heathen. And the housemate screams it um, when somebody reaches a blackened hand out of the chimney. And then another scene is, like, when he tries to approach the cook, um, she the, the housemate who screamed that don't touch me, you black heathen, she threatened to quit. If that hot and tot goes into the chimney, I'll still go out the door. Now, the word hot and tot is actually a slur for South Africans. It's like one of those words that's like some parts of the world consider it a slur and it has two different meanings. So it did mean like it kind of, how do I explain this? The word refers to like an indigenous group in South Africa who, who do not speak Bantu, any Bantu languages. But mm-hmm. English took that word and used it to refer to South Africans as a slur. And it kind of means like barbarian, savage, things like that. 
and they used to use that word like way way back then so he's saying like because of the use of that word and they use this word in the movie as well so because of the use of that word and the chimney stuff that's kind of akin to blackface so yeah what do y'all think about that i that didn't even clock for me because i was thinking of i was like when i got done watching the movie i was like hmm maybe this is something i could show children if you like depending on the person if you don't look too far into it the movie's fine but the the thing that caught me off first off guard first was the mom being a suffrage fighter i was like "Mm." Mm mm-hmm you're fighting for white women's rights you're not fighting for all women's rights and then the dad just being you know misogynistic in his words and attitude and things like that but I mean I guess if you read the books and then watch the movie it's definitely Mm. reminiscent of the everything just leads back to racism it's just literally everything especially with disney especially with disney yeah i was gonna say yeah sorry Mm -hmm. with the history that disney has i don't think it's that far of a stretch to make that connection yeah yes considering what the word like like considering that the word is not used anymore it's Mm -hmm. like all right whatever but the fact that it did used to be a slur and that travelers was racist as was the norm back when she was like writing these books it was like oh mm-hmm. wow okay whatever <laughs> okay and so the next critique is about how travelers felt about the movie and about mary poppins character and it's called mary poppins not sugary but sharp and subversive on the page and on the screen by emma brox of the guardian she did an opinion piece so mm-hmm. travelers hated the disney adaptation of the book she was very vocal about it she thought it was sentimental and silly she hated the fact that they turned mrs banks into a suffragette and she thought the filmmakers got the character of mary poppins completely wrong so the first Poppins books was, was written in 1934, but was set 20 years earlier in the Edwardian England period. And the central character, like the woman who created her, was like she's supposed to be difficult to the point where it's like, bro, like calm down. And P.O. Travelers described Mary Poppins as a woman who never wastes time being nice. She was sharp. She was short tempered. She was almost like a tyrant, um, a child care professional with no references, who did not materialized by gliding serenely down a doorstep but was rather somebody who would like to go against the grain and just be difficult in general so Mm -hmm. of course she's not like this in the movie um she's pretty kind sweet lady magical whatever and so travelers just did not like that did she and also in the showing it said that they (laughs) cried when she first saw the film cried in anger (laughs) yeah and then like one of the oh keep going keep going no no keep going yeah one of like huge difference too was like the class like as in like social class of the Mm -hmm. book version of mary poppins and this version of mary poppins in the movie so like in the book she was more like lower class she lived in like a she didn't dress as nice as she would have in the movie, basically. Like, she mm-hmm. was, like, a lower-class immigrant woman. But in the movie, they made her very beautiful and pretty and dressed all nice and whatnot. So, yeah, that was another thing that Travelers, like, did not like, among the many other things she hated about the movie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes me wonder what Disney's daughter read in those books that she wanted into a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well she must have read only the first one out of the mm-hmm. eight books there are oh yeah um i just i don't know this is so boring i think my only <laughs> other critique that, that like stood out to me was that it's called mary poppins and mary poppins did all the work to try and patch up this family but they gave Bert the scene to talk to the dad to get him to pay attention to his children. And I was just like, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> uh, it was very much, I don't hear women talk. I only listen to men talk. Um, yeah. 
But other than that, I mean, popping this on in the middle of a class before spring break, having kids who study music watch this movie, I get it. It will live on. Um, Julie Andrews looked great. Um, they were definitely sneaky links, though. I was just like, I don't remember all of them <laughs> the first movie. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't even um, in the book. They were not meant to be seen as possibly a couple. Also in the book, the kids never meet Bert. And when they go on that little, when they jump into the little chalk drawing, it's only her and Bert. So. Mm. Mm. That's so interesting. I do think like storytelling wise, it's interesting that they just had the magic be there and didn't explain it. Mm-hmm. And like Bert and Mary being friends, they didn't explain that. They don't explain any of the magic. It's just kind of there, which I think is an interesting storytelling device. Um, I think this will always be big, especially on Broadway, um, and for its filming techniques. So it does like it'll probably stand the test of time for people who study film and study music and things like that. And it's a good performance by like the crew. Um, but yeah, it definitely has some problematic elements. Um, I give Mary Poppins a, f- a five. <laughs> what about y'all? Um, I was gonna say a six. Julie Andrews deserves a six at the least. If she's yeah, in. yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm up to a six. I'm up to a six. <laughs> what about you, Corey? It would be a six if this movie was like 45 minutes shorter. So I'm just gonna yeah. stick to a five. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Nia? Mm, I'll go in between y'all say 5.5 so I definitely think Julie Andrews has like an amazing voice Um, the like some songs are good but I just two hours and 20 minutes yeah nah (laughs) could have taken off an hour and we'd still gotten the same result ah yeah but another one bites the dust um, I think this was really interesting just to look at production wise more than anything than the story. Mm-hmm. But fear not, good children. We are about to hit the golden age of Disney. Our next film is The Jungle Book. We finally hit a movie where I remember the songs. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Walt's last movie before he bites the dust literally <laughs> ending with a banger or or allegedly because you know he might be frozen oh. <laughs> <laughs> make the movie frozen right huh, but our next movie will be jungle book we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and if you enjoyed it don't forget to give us a five-star review on spotify apple podcast where you really listen you can come talk to us about why you love or hate mary poppins on twitter at commentator tiktok at pomodic at Ooh, a commented podcast or come talk to us on discord um until next time i'm tori i'm Marin. i'm nia and i'm decoria bye-bye bye bye